section eleven of henry the second by lewis francis saltzman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six irish affairs part two leinster was now pacified and a further imperative summons from king henry already on his way towards pembroke necessitated the departure of earl richard hardly had he gone when hasculf the former lord of dublin landed with an army raised from norway the isles and man under the command of a man known from the berserk fury of his valour as john the woad or the mad these well-armed scandinavians were foes of a different type from the wild irish but miles de cogan boldly charged upon them from the east gate while his brother richard with a small force of thirty men-at-arms rode secretly out of the west gate to take them in the rear john the woad wielding his great axe with fearful effect forced back the english and had even gained footing within the gate when richard's attack threw his men into confusion rallying his forces miles charged again upon the northmen who broke and fled john the woad was killed fighting gallantly and hasculf was captured and beheaded another assault on the city early in september by the forces of tiernan o'rourke ended disastrously for the irish and dublin was left in peace henry had landed at portsmouth on the second of august and after a visit to the aged bishop henry of winchester then on his deathbed had marched towards bristol at newnham and gloucestershire he was met by earl richard who surrendered to him the cities of dublin waterford and wexford receiving in return the royal favour and a grant in fee of the residue of his conquests about eighth september when the english army was approaching the borders of wales king rhys ap griffith came to meet henry with the offer of a tribute of horses and oxen this tribute henry soon afterwards respited taking only thirty-six horses as a token of friendship at the same time he restored to rhys his son howell who had long been held as hostage rhys showed his appreciation of the king's friendship next year by sending howell to the english court to serve king henry the peaceful passage of the english army in pembrokeshire where the fleet was assembling at milford haven had been secured by this tactful conciliation of king rhys and a troublesome chieftain yorwith ap owain was reduced to order by the capture of his castle of caleon on usk before henry reached pembroke for some three weeks the english host lay weather-bound at pembroke part of the time being spent by henry in a pilgrimage to st david's where he offered in the cathedral and visited the bishop david fitzgerald at last on the sixteenth october the wind shifted and the fleet of some two hundred vessels crossed over to crook near waterford for a fortnight henry remained at waterford the government of which town he had entrusted to robert fitzbernard here he received the submission of the kings and the chieftains of ireland with the exception of the lords of ulster and roderick o'connor the ardree hither also the men of wexford in accordance with an undertaking given to henry at pembroke by his envoys brought robert fitzstephen and his fellow-prisoners 
and henry whose personal intervention in ireland had been influenced in some degree by complaints of the tyranny of some of the adventurers thought it politic to appease the natives by committing robert to prison for a short time if he was mindful of the demands of justice he was still more mindful of his proposed reformation of the irish church and having received the homage of the irish bishops he summoned a council or synod at cashel in november at this council of cashel canons were passed for the observance of the degrees of affinity in marriage the performance of baptisms by priests in the church the local custom being for the father of the child immediately after its birth to plunge it three times into water or into milk if the family were noble or wealthy the payment of tithes and the immunity of clerks and church property from secular exactions as soon as it was over henry sent an account of the proceedings and of the submission tendered to him by the bishops and princes of ireland to the pope by the hands of the archdeacon of clonduff it would seem that he also endeavoured to obtain from alexander a confirmation of pope adrian's commendatory letter issued in eleven fifty five at the time when the conquest of ireland was first proposed alexander did not grant this confirmation but wrote letters to henry to the bishops and to the kings of ireland expressing his satisfaction at the steps taken to remedy the monstrous irregularities of which the irish had been guilty and his hope that henry's supremacy would make for the peace and better government of the island these letters must have reached england some time in the summer of eleven seventy two henry however did not seem to have been satisfied with these expressions of papal approval possibly he had in the first instance obtained the submission of the irish prelates by representing himself as commissioned by pope alexander to reform their church however this may be it would seem that a synod was held at waterford to which william fitz audlin brought probably alexander's letters and certainly the letter of adrian that famous centre of controversy the bull laudabilitaire so called from its beginning with the word laudabilitaire and as befits an irish document its not being a bull and with it a confirmation by pope alexander which was almost undoubtedly a forgery but before this synod of waterford was held much had happened christmas in eleven seventy one had been spent by the king at dublin where an elaborate palace built of wattles in the native fashion had been erected for him and where the magnificence and luxury of his household simple though it was if judged by continental standards struck surprise into the minds of the irish but if the royal table presented a spectacle of unwonted luxury to the natives the food of the country the absence of wine and the impurity of the water proved disastrous to the english an exceptionally stormy winter aggravated the scarcity of provisions and consequent mortality prevented operations against roderick of connaught and by severing all connection with england left henry a prey to unappeasable anxiety early in march eleven seventy two news having possibly reached him of the arrival of the papal legates in normandy he moved down to wexford the greater part of his army going at the end of the month to waterford but for over six weeks 
the weather rendered the crossing to wales impossible and it was not until easter monday seventeenth april that henry landed near st david's whence he made his way to portsmouth from which place he crossed to normandy early in may the arrival of the papal legates coupled with rumours of a conspiracy being formed by the young king henry and his brothers had compelled henry to return from ireland without attempting the subjugation of the ardry and without strengthening his hold upon the portions of the island already conquered by the erection of a series of castles before leaving however he took measures intended apparently to weaken the power of the original adventurers alike for action independent of himself and for the oppression of the natives the government of dublin with the province of meath he granted to hugh de lacy a man of character and ability who justified his selection by adopting a just and conciliatory policy toward the irish with him were associated in the charge of the city robert fitzstephen and myler fitzhenry while waterford and wexford were committed to robert fitzbernard earl richard retained possession of leinster and was apparently recognized as in control of the conquered portion of ireland while the province of ulster whose chiefs had refused to accept the english supremacy was handed over to john de courcy to subdue and enjoy as best he might the earl who had made kildare his chief seat had bestowed his daughter in marriage upon robert de quincy whom he created hereditary constable of leinster but not long after the marriage robert was killed in an expedition against odemcy of ophali leaving an infant daughter who eventually married the son of morris prendergast raymond the big then demanded the hand of the earl's widowed daughter with the constableship and upon his demand being refused retired into wales about the same time in the summer of eleven seventy three henry hard pressed by the rebellion of his sons summoned some of the leading barons from ireland including earl richard whom he made governor of gisors the appointment was of short duration and the earl was soon invested with the government of dublin waterford and wexford and sent back to ireland with letters recalling hugh de lacy fitzstephen fitzbernard prendergast and others who crossed at once in time to take part in the battle of fornham on the seventeenth of march eleven seventy three the english forces in ireland were thus seriously depleted and an expedition led by the earl and herve de montmorency into munster having ended disastrously all ireland began to rise and endeavour to shake off the foreign yoke earl richard hastily sent for raymond the big promising him the hand of his daughter for whom he had asked in vain before raymond responded to the offer landed with a small force at waterford and marched to wexford where he reduced the town to order and obtained his coveted bride next year in eleven seventy five he led a force into limerick and captured that town but his successes and possibly his excesses also were displeasing to king henry and early in eleven seventy six he was summoned to england to account for his actions the state of affairs at limerick however was too desperate to permit of his absence and after relieving the garrison he thought it good policy to obtain a renewal of their oaths of fealty to the king of england from the kings of connaught and tolmond 
Raymond was therefore still in Ireland at the beginning of June 1176, when Earl Richard died, and William Fitzaudlin landed as procurator or justiciary of Ireland. Fitzaudlin and his two coadjutors, Miles de Cogan and Robert Fitzstephen, were recalled in 1177, and Hugh de Lacy was appointed justiciary. Fitzaudlin being associated with Robert Le Poire in the custody of Waterford and Wexford, Miles and Robert receiving South Munster, and North Munster as yet unsubdued being granted to Philip de Brose, from which he got as little good as he deserved. For the next seven years, Henry left Ireland pretty much to itself, and Lacy continued to strengthen the position of the English settlement by building castles and by a firm but conciliatory attitude toward the natives. Unfortunately, his success, coupled with his marriage with the daughter of the King of Connaught, aroused Henry's jealousy, and in 1184 he was removed from office. As early as 1177, Henry had declared his intention of making his young son John King of Ireland, and in 1185 the furtherance of this design afforded an excuse for keeping the beloved boy from the distant dangers of the crusade. John was at this time in his nineteenth year, vain, pampered, vicious, and as completely void of any redeeming virtue as any young man could be. His father, to whom he was as the apple of his eye, could hardly have found in all his broad realms any person more dangerously incompetent to undertake the difficult government of Ireland. On 31st March, 1185, the king knighted his son at Windsor, and almost immediately afterwards John set out under the charge of Renolf de Glanville, the justiciar for Gloucester. After a few days' stay in that city, the heavy baggage and provisions for the expedition, with the greater part of the forces, were sent on to Bristol, while John himself with the remainder passed on to Milford Haven, whence he sailed for Waterford on the 24th of April. His force was of imposing dimensions. It is said to have contained three hundred knights, and as we find such men as William Le Poire and Stephen Le Fleming, each bringing fifty horses, the total number of the cavalry must have been large. There was probably a contingent of Flemish mercenaries, as Gottschalk, the master of the Flemish sergeants, came from Kent, and there must have been the usual proportions of archers and foot-soldiers. Significant is the entry on the pipe-rolls of payments for Roger Rastel and other huntsmen with horses and dogs, who went from Somerset into Ireland, and still more significant are the entries of large sums spent in furnishing John's kitchen and bakery. The bulk of John's followers were Norman courtiers, despising their English companions, who in turn regarded the Irish as despicable savages. On John's arrival the friendly chieftains came to welcome the son of the most powerful prince in Christendom, but found an ill-mannered youth surrounded by a crowd of fashionable, effeminate flatterers. The Normans mocked at the barbaric dress of the native princes and carried their ill-bred insolence so far as to pluck them by their long beards. 
in justifiable anger the princes left the court at waterford and went to warn their compatriots of the treatment in store for them the kings of connaught limerick and cork who had meditated tendering their fealty to john now naturally held aloof and soon the faithful natives were driven by the insults and injuries suffered at the hands of the invaders into active revolt meanwhile the newcomers had completely alienated the early settlers depriving them of their hard-won conquests and distributing offices of importance and honour with a complete disregard for the fitness of the candidates the norman courtiers used to the luxurious life of large towns and the aristocratic campaigning of the continent utterly refused to endure the hardships inseparable from service in the interior of the country and clung to the seaboard towns where alone wine was available hugh de lacy and the barons who had won and held leinster by their strength and military ability kept grimly aloof and watched disaster after disaster overtake the incompetent and inexperienced army of invasion matters soon reached such a pitch that it was clear that some man of ability must be put in command and ultimately in the autumn of eleven eighty five john de courcy whose conquest of ulster had proved him to be a warrior of consummate skill and daring was appointed chief governor with excellent effect and two months later prince john returned to england he had no difficulty in persuading his infatuated father that his failure was due to the treachery of hugh de lacy and it was with unconcealed delight that henry heard of lacy's murder in eleven eighty six early in that same year pope urban the third had acceded to henry's request for the coronation of john as king of ireland and had even sent him a crown of gold and peacock's feathers borrowed plumes sufficiently suitable for the empty head they were to adorn john was therefore dispatched to ireland to seize lacy's great fief into the king's hand in august but before he could sail news arrived of the death of his brother geoffrey and he was recalled for the remaining three years of his reign henry was too busy with english and foreign affairs to devote his attention to ireland End of section eleven